You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Podcast Detroit. This is Liz Reed, your resident guru with Liz Life Guru. We are here today. Oh my gosh, I think this is my 12th podcast. I'm here with my engineer, Jessica, and um, we are going to be discussing a very intense, really interesting conversation today on borderline personality disorder. Uh, this is often a misdiagnosed um, disorder that a lot of people don't know a whole lot about and make a lot of misjudgments about. Uh, before I get to that, I want to read a quick disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant to replace treatment or diagnosis by a qualified mental health professional, which is also me. I'm a licensed LMSW, and I'm here to help you and everybody with their mental health issues. Um, today, talking about borderline personality disorder, as you know, in the past, I've worked for many different um, corporate uh, corporate facilities and community services, uh, mental health units, as well as long-term mental health care. Our guest today is Bree. She will remain anonymous. She is from one of my many jobs that I've had in my past. She is diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and we will get more into that from her. And um, we're going to kind of discuss how her life has gone, what's going on with her, where it started. Uh, where she is now, the things that have worked best for her and what have not. And so um, I just want to say hi to Bree. Bree, how are you doing, honey? Good. How are you? I'm good, sweetie. I'm so glad you're on the show. So glad you're here. <laughs> Me too. Thank you Me very too. much. You're really going to be helping a lot of people. You know, and that's the whole goal, for isn't, sure. isn't it? That is the whole goal. And that's one of the greatest things I love about all the patients that I have um, or the, or ex patients. I don't treat Brie any longer, um, but they are always willing to help others with what they've been through. And I think our journey is really important for other people to know um, how we got here, um, what, what we're all about and what's going on. So um, I was just going to, Bree, I'm going to read a quick definition of what they said about borderline personality disorder, and then I'm going to get your take on this, okay? Um, they okay. say uh, that uh, it's a difficulty regulating moods, understanding information that's coming into the brain with a tense, intense, emo- I'm paraphrasing too, with intense emotions, and which makes it hard to stabilize your moods. Would you agree with that, or what would you add? to that. I would definitely agree with the fact that um, the intense emotions, you know, uh, everybody suffers from emotions. But uh, for me with borderline, you know, someone could say, oh, look at that butterfly. And then I would look at it and start crying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so hard to manage. And I think one of the things, stigmas, whatever, with borderline is people do so much for attention 
a lot of attention-seeking behavior. And I know from my personal experience, it wasn't necessarily about the attention. It was about the love. I could okay. not get enough love and enough validation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the interesting, so, okay, so then in addition to that, I was reading a lot of information on, um, you know, which I know also from working with borderline patients myself, but um, some of the, you know, highlights are, are symptoms, characteristics of our fear of abandonment, unstable right. relationships, Clear, mm-hmm. um, unclear shifting of self-image and disassociation, which you and I have talked about in the past. Um, we'll go over sure. these too, especially the ones that really pertain to you. Um, impulsive self-destructive thoughts, um, <laughs> difficulty in relationships, self-harm, extreme emotional swings, uh, chronic feelings of emptiness, Explosive anger, which doesn't seem like you, Brie. I don't remember you ever being explosively no, I, angry. I kind of yes. bypassed that. Yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, cutting, cutting, panic attacks, splitting, and uh, oddly, suicidal ideation was like I had to dig around for that. But suicide is a very big component to borderline personality disorder. Would you not agree? Oh. Oh man, that that takes the cake. Right it there. sure does. That's what I thought. I was like, wait a minute, shouldn't that be at the top of this list? I thought no, that was really strange. The, Go ahead. I was going to say because of the severity with the suicidal urges. Yeah, it's nothing to play around. You know? No, no, it is not. And and what we do know is statistics show that between one point six and five point nine percent of adults in the U.S. suffer from borderline, and this is equal to about nine to ten million people. Uh, across the United States, and 75% of these being female. And a lot of it is misdiagnosed. Yeah, isn't it? And a lot of it is misdiagnosed as PTSD or depression in men. Yes. So men's like. The same kind of, with women, too. Yeah, yeah. And men are kind of like new on the scale there. But, you know, I hate to sound like, uh, I don't know, like uh, every other man, like when you're menstruating, they tell you that, you know, it must be your moods, right? <laughs> But uh, but definitely women are more emotional. So that's going to add to this, right? That's going to be a huge component of this. Out of those ones that I read on there, what would you say, you know, are some of the spots that are the hardest for you um, of the ones I was just talking about? Like fear of abandonment, that was a biggie for you? Yes, fear of abandonment is huge um, and lack of what I call lack of validation because Mm -hmm. of my insecurity. You know, yeah. all my life I've been so insecure and I always look to others to validate how I feel or, you know, have that empathy type thing mm-hmm. um, for sure. I know, you know, we just talked about the, the suicide urges. Um, self-harm has been very, very, very difficult. I still struggle with that. Yeah. Um, which in all forms, you know, I have been a cutter since I was in seventh grade. Um Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have uh, just addiction to pills, you know, addiction to money, like credit mm-hmm. cards. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I struggle, you know, another form of self-harm for me is uh, not eating uh, and yeah. purging. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I kind of have uh, the whole can of chicken soup with me for my for my addiction. Sure, you know? sure. And a lot of that, you know, kind of crosses over into all, into different thinkings, right? So when we were talking about splitting in here, we're going to get into your history too next. But, you know, like splitting mm-hmm. black and white thinking. I, I really think huh. that, you know, I've always said if a borderline, if, if a borderline's into you, they're having a relationship with you, they're taking you hostage. It's not exactly a, a relationship. It's like taking someone hostage, but when they're done with you, it's over. I mean, it is over. There's just like a, a beginning and an end. And that's where splitting comes in as black and white thinking. Would you agree with that? Yes. Black and white thinking has been such a downfall for me. Yeah. Um, because it's things are either right or wrong. Mm-hmm. There's no in between, you know, and you look at the whole world that way. Yeah. You know, um, and it gets you, it gets for me, it's analyzing. When mm-hmm. I get that black and white, you know, thinking, oh, my goodness, I analyze the hell out of everything. Yeah. You know, you could show me a red crayon and I'd start analyzing it and tell you why it's red and how it got there. You know? <laughs> sure. And it, sure. it's all out of insecurity. Sure. You know, the less I the less I know about something or someone, the more my fear skyrockets, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, so it's it's all about trying to get some security through trying to know everything. So, Bree, how old are you now? I'm 34. 34 years old. Okay. And yep. when did you... Okay. So how did this all start for you? What, what What was the beginning? When did you... Was it your parents who recognized something was wrong or was it you? Um, It was definitely me. Uh I wasn't diagnosed with any of the things I have until I was about 15. When I was 15, that's when I started going into treatment, therapy and such. Mm -hmm. Um, Growing up, my mom is a very uh, devout Catholic, and Mm -hmm. my dad um, is a super high-temper, you know, Italian man. And uh, I grew up in a hell of a lot of fear. Okay. um, Fear of my dad and his temper. Mm -hmm. You know, it just there was so much dysfunction already and, Mm -hmm. you know, being in the first and second grade, I could already pick up on it. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. um, a big thing for me was teasing uh, in school. When I, when I started first grade, basically first through eighth grade, I was heavily, heavily teased. Okay. Um, it, it was torture and, you know, being in grade school, going to, to the, you know, my classes and things like that. Well, when I would get home from school, you know, I'd play with the neighborhood kids and all the neighborhood kids teased me and made fun of me. And it was just grueling. Mm -hmm. And it's had even to this day, a profound effect on me. It really does. Um, You know, and, and I, I know things were fucked up even back then because when I was in seventh grade, I I had, um, I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, nothing. I didn't say anything. I'm sorry, honey. Oh, it's okay. No, I was saying in seventh grade, I uh, I had a teacher, we'll just call her Sherry. Mm-hmm. And I was so heartbroken and just such a mess that uh, the bell rang at 2.40 to, you know, end of classes, go home. But I would wait till 3.30, 4 o'clock just to have everybody clear out of the school so I could get a hug from her. Aww. That was like my lifeline. Mm-hmm. If I couldn't get a hug from her at the end of the day, I was just miserable. I remember you, know, you and, telling and that me about was, that. At the time, the only thing I was living for is just her love and just a freaking hug. Sure. You know, that just tells me that things were not right 
at home. Yes. You know? And, you know, I want to add to that because um, a lot of what I was reading also that um, on the biological component of borderline, um, the biological vulnerability, a genetic or maybe a neurotransmitter um, deficit can be part of borderline. They're not sure, okay, but they're saying that this could mm-hmm. potentially be part of it. Um, invalidating environment from family. That is a huge oh, one. Like hell you, yeah. Yep, just like you were saying. Uh, sexual abuse and trauma are always pretty in there somewhere, not with everybody, but definitely a component. But the common denominator is always some sort of family issue. Some sort of family yeah. issue. And the research that they're working on right now, uh, validating the genetic component, is that we need to catch this at an early age in childhood before it escalates into an adult problem, yeah. when your emotions really start to charge. Would you agree with yeah, that? Very much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was seven years old or whatever, nothing was about borderline. I don't even know if you know existed at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. for me, you know, when I, when I was in the seventh grade, that's when I started cutting, you know, you got to keep in mind, I was very, very sheltered. I yeah. didn't really watch TV. Um, and I can remember the day I started, we were, we had a project to make, um, uh, models with paper mache and the mm-hmm. one I chose, I chose to make a shark and you had to use chicken wire to make the model. Okay. And I remember, um, being in the basement and I, uh, when I reached in to tie one of this chicken wire thing, um, I got my hand cut. And I okay. said, oh, that feels kind of good. Mm-hmm. And so I clipped off some more wires and I went upstairs and that's when everything went to hell. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was never for attention because when I went to school the next day, I had to wear long sleeves. Mm-hmm. Um and it was a very hot day out, <laughs> you know, yeah. and everybody's like, why are you wearing, you know, long sleeves? But that that's just where it started. And mm-hmm. it's amazing because I had never heard or seen anybody or anything like that. It just came natural. Mm-hmm. You know, I had such a fear, my, you know, my fear for my dad was just insane. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's a messed up dynamic. I, you know, I could go on and on about, you know, the family experiences, but sure, you know, sure. just for today. Um, the, the thing of it is, is that um, the, when you discovered cutting, what did that do? Give you a great sense of relief? This is what we're told it by patients. It was euphoria. Yeah. It was euphoria because while I was engaging in it, the whole world disappeared. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it, it was like a high, mm-hmm. you know, drugs, alcohol. It was the same thing for me. It was the ultimate high. And it was the only way that I saw a way out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I needed something else to focus on because the emotions were crazy. And then I thought yeah. I was crazy because of the intense emotions. Yep, absolutely. And so it is not a happy place to be that utterly emotional. And this is where you're correct. People get this misunderstanding uh, that this is all about seeking attention. In reality, right. it is. And it's for you trying to find relief. Um, you're trying to find um, somebody who, who is going to validate you. Who to is survive. Going to survive. I did it to yep. survive. Yeah, to help you, you know, feel It was better. never about attention. It was just mm-hmm. get me through this next moment because I want to kill myself. Yeah. And when, how old were you when the suicidal ideation came into play? I was 15. 
15. I just gotten into high school. And what what was the thought process behind that? Was it like, listen, I just can't, you know, had you been in and out of a hospital at all at that point yet? Or was that just the uh, emotions not. from school were too intense at that point? I, my first hospital stay was, it was, um, was when I was 15, but leading up to that, um, once again, I, I had, I hooked on to another teacher in my high school, we'll call her oh. Mary. Okay. Um, I didn't, I never had a therapist, you know, I never even thought about getting a therapist, but I would once again, stay after school for at least an hour and a half, bawling my eyes out to her yeah. saying, you know, talking about what was going on in the family and how I just wanted to kill myself. I wanted to hurt X, Y, Z, you know, mm-hmm. it was just, mm-hmm. she became the only reason to live for you know, okay. going to school and seeing her and, and knowing that I can talk to her after class was the only thing that kept me from, you know, killing myself. And I, I, um, I don't know where I wouldn't be here without her, but she's the one that, um, talked to my guidance counselor, Okay, my guidance counselor talked to my parents and they got me into therapy. My first therapy session, they put me in the hospital. Okay. Um, Uh, Backtracking just a little bit, how accepting was your father of his responsibility of you having problems due to his anger? Oh, no acceptance at that time. (laughs) Yeah, I would imagine. so angry. I'll bet. That's why you didn't say anything for so long, I'll imagine, right? Yeah. Well, it was great. You know, when I was 15, when I got in the hospital, they loaded me up with meds. I mean, loaded. I, I was just... I couldn't even tell you my favorite color. Sure. And, you know, my dad, my dad didn't know how to handle all this. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom and dad were in denial, constant yeah. denial of what was going on with me. Mm-hmm. When I started taking all these meds, my dad was so angry. He wouldn't, he wouldn't give them to me. He's like, you don't need these. You just oh, need vitamins. Word. Vitamins will fix everything. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That he, didn't help. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I... At that time, I did not have a very good supported system with my parents. And so yeah. there was so much angst. There was so much hate and angst, not only uh, for things like that, but my whole past since I was three years old. It was all this anger and rage built up. And that didn't help my depression either. You no, know? no, not. It's the last um, thing you needed. And the number one thing you needed was support. But when people are ill-informed or ignorant to what an actual diagnosis is and what's going on, they keep saying, you'll grow out of it, None of it. especially when you're yeah. young. Yep. You know, your emotion. They, they, get they, over they, it. Yeah, get over it. Yeah, you know, you should have. What about what was it like when I was young? I, you you should have been me. You couldn't have believed what I went through. You know, they don't understand mm-hmm. that your your emotions are about 50 to 75 times more intense than my own. And I'm a very emotional person. I wear my heart on my sleeve, you know, and it's, and it is just crippling. And that's what people don't understand. So at 15, when they put you in the hospital, was everybody freaking? How, I mean, how'd you do in the hospital? I mean, obviously it was a children's hospital. How'd that go? Right. Uh, I was a mess. I had never experienced anything like that. Away from home. You know, I was, yeah, I was uh, one of the patients in with me. He was 15, and, and he was in there because uh, he snorted so much coke. Whoa. You know, this kid, yeah, I mean, it, another girl, um, I can't even, it was, let's just say it was quite the eye-opening experience. <laughs> um, and yeah. that, you know, that, that started this, this period of being in the system, okay. know, being a number. Yep. Um, I was going to say something, but I, I forgot. That's oh, okay. 
you know, not only in addition to having the borderline, when I was, when I was 15, sorry to keep saying it, um, they didn't diagnose me with borderline. Mm -hmm. They diagnosed me with, uh, PTSD, major depression, um, anxiety and schizophrenia. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, I was seeing and hearing things. It wasn't one of those, like I can't distinguish from reality, but Mm -hmm. it was just when I got overly stressed, I would see and hear voices and, yep. and just see like fire and this and that. Mm-hmm. That's why at the time they gave me that schizophrenic diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they weren't, they weren't aware of exactly what was going on because, you know, right. the last thing you are is schizophrenic, but anxiety is you. And well, I they wanted know. to load me up. With sure. Them. That's, that's their solution. Just drug her up. Yep. To, to keep her alive. You know, we don't want to be sued. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to, you know, yep. dose her up and see exactly. what the heck happens, which, you know, um, you know, d- catastrophic feelings go along with this as well, right? So is there a lot of sense of cas- uh, catastrophizing, you know, on things that might happen, could happen? What do you think about that? Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of overly overemphasis on some things mm-hmm. uh, just because how high the emotions run and things like that. Um mm-hmm. You know, so much of my days and nights were all crisis times. Yeah. There was no enjoyment. There was no, what do I want to be when I grow up? And, you know, I was fighting day in and day out to survive in high school. The only reason, like I said, was because of Mary. Um, and then that option got cut off. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure how to summarize the story, but basically sure. I, I got suspended for talking to her about my mental issues and the school mm-hmm. considered me a threat. So they yeah. sent me home for a couple of weeks and that was detrimental because I didn't know how to survive without her being without her. Wow. Wow. Uh, what it, a bunch of just, wrong, but what a ahead. bunch of bad decisions in a row. Correct. You don't have any support at home. You The only support system you have, they take away from you. That must mm-hmm. have been really was, hard on you. Traumatic, you know. I still feel the pain from that today. It was my lifeline. You take that away, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Yeah, yeah. What am I? And um, that was long before they had um, DBT and stuff, which is the therapies we'll get into later. Um, So, okay. So after the hospitalization at fifteen, when was the next time? uh, What what went on from there? When did you go back into the hospital? How many times do you think you've been hospitalized? Um, at least thirty. Three, mm-hmm. I want to say, and, and uh, you know, and it started back then. Mm-hmm. And you know, so that's an average of almost you know at least once a year, right? Oh um, yeah. Or, you well, know, the last, twice a year, the last excuse ten me. years of my life, yeah. Um, the average has been about six to eight, nine times per year. Holy, and so it increased. The, the average. I'm sorry. So it increased. It got worse as oh, you've yeah. gotten older. Got your worse. borderline has gotten older. What would you attribute that to? Well, definitely the intensity, but I, I think a huge part is the way I was brought up. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened when I was brought up, you know, um, the teasing. The, but I mean, uh, as you've gotten depression. older, you know what I mean? As you've gotten older, instead of like all the therapies and help that you've gotten, how come your hospital stays have increased? You know what I'm saying? You know, like it wasn't getting better. The, the depression, the, the depre- trauma and depression. Okay, so it's kind of manifested more in depression. Is that because 
um, certain parts of your life, like finding a relationship or marrying or moving, going to college or whatever, any of those kinds of things weren't coming together like adulting. So did that add to it? There, to me, there was no adulting because Mm -hmm. my whole being was, you know, survive one more day. I never thought about a future. I never thought about, you know, a week from then. It was just, I have to breathe just for today. Yeah. You know, there was a night, well, there were many nights, but one in particular, I was, when I was still living with my parents, I remember sitting on the kitchen floor bawling and I kept looking at the phone and I said, do I call the police? Do I call the police? Because I, I didn't, I, I didn't know if I was going to hurt them. I was going to hurt myself. I was so, yeah. you know, the suicide was insane, but it mm-hmm. was one of those moments you never forget, mm-hmm. you know, because of that intensity. Mm-hmm. How many attempts, uh, suicide attempts have you had, honey? Uh, seven, maybe. Seven? Something like that. Yeah. The last one I had was the, the the biggest one, but I, you know, unfortunately I've been in an ambulance too many times to even count. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's been crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, what, what keeps me going and has kept me going um, is my faith and my mm-hmm. higher power. Mm-hmm. You know, my higher power is Jesus. I'm Christian, but mm-hmm. higher power can be different for everybody. You don't sure. have to belong sure. to it, you know, whatever works for you. I'm just telling you what, you know, what works for me. Amen to that, sister through. girl. You and I agree on that. Whatever works, works. I don't care what you call it, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You um, have battled with addiction, too. So that's, oh, an, yeah. that's an interesting component that we need to add to this. Tell us a little bit about what went on with that. I'm, I'm assuming you were using it as a Band-Aid to help with your emotions? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, I always thought growing up, like a drug addict was somebody in the back alley with a trench coat, <laughs> you know, leaning over a garbage can of fire, you know. No, it was your ex-therapist um, I, drinking <laughs> drinking yeah, no, and sure. suffering and functioning and going to work. You never know who the hell it is, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, you know what I right. went through with my addiction? Uh, yeah. You never know who the hell it is. Yep. Go ahead. You Go ahead. I yeah. was going to say... Um, I was in therapy. It was 2009 and I was seeing a therapist and I was telling her about um, Xanax that I had been prescribed when I was 18. And I told her, you know, I was messing around with it. And she says, you need to go to therapy. And I looked at her and I, or not, do you need to go to rehab? I said, why? (laughs) You know, why? Um, So I did, I took what she said. I went to, you know, rehab and, um, you know, taught me about the 12 steps and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, for me, you know, the I struggle with, you know, drugs. Um, but for me, where I'm at today, that aspect of staying sober is a cakewalk. Okay? Yeah. Because I have so many other um, addictions, mm-hmm. you know. So what I do and I've tried to do in the past is I take the 12 steps and, it, you know, wherever it says drugs or alcohol, I'll put, in my form of self-harm, you know, like cutting, mm-hmm. you know, just substitute the words to try and uh, keep the addictions manageable. Yeah. What would you say is your uh, worst kind of like instead without alcohol or drugs or anything like that? I know you go to 12 step meetings, which is really honorable and awesome of you to do because that really keeps you connected to a good support group. And that's 
outstanding, regardless of what it is. Yeah, that is outstanding, whatever it is. It's become my family. Sure. And what would you say Mm -hmm. is the biggest thing that you struggle with now that always is is a reoccurrent for you that has been difficult with your borderline that is hard for you to kind of get past? What Any one of those symptoms I mentioned? Um, Are you talking about like uh, self-harm or fear of abandonment or, you know... I think right now is um, currently, because it always changes. Yes, there's an anxiety is, and all that kind um, of stuff fun. Yeah, it does that yeah. to us. I mean, they're, they're all in. I'm not, you know, it's hard to think what one's the most. Mm-hmm. I think right now is is um, lack of validating myself. Okay. You know, and I have an obsession with getting validation from everybody. Anybody I can get validation from. Because if somebody says, if someone validates me, that relates in my head. Oh, okay, I'm all right. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. This is okay. If I don't feel, uh, if I don't get that validation from someone else, I panic. Yeah. You know, and I know that comes from low self-esteem. Sure. You know. Sure. And, you know, how are you supposed to sort through all those things when you're basically feeling like shit every day and trying to keep yourself alive, right? And uh, and yeah. And you and I were there. Um, together at the facility when one of our other borderline patients took her life. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that was, that was really upsetting. That was really upsetting, not just for the fact that, um, she had taken her life, but the fact that we weren't able to do anything about it, you know, that, that was something mm-hmm. that she really wanted. If I recall, that is one of the things that her parents said is if it wasn't now, it would be later that is something that she wanted. I know she identified as male, but, you know, I right. I don't know the whole story. I did not know the patient very well. It wasn't my patient. But that was right after I started working there. And that was really upsetting. That was really upsetting right. for well, me. Sure. And and uh, he was you a pretty know. good friend of yours, right? No, no, no? I, I did not know her. At oh, the you time. didn't? Oh, I thought you knew her at the time. No. Oh, okay, yeah. But was... I, I wanted to mention something, too, that, yeah. you know, relates to suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, you know, I told you how many times I've overdosed or whatever. Yeah. Overdose overdose came to an escape for me. Okay. Overdose um, became a coping mechanism, and mm-hmm. it became a point... Uh, of self-harm mm-hmm. because when I would, you know, feel so low and things like that, flashbacks, whatever I'm going through, um, to take a bunch of pills was a gamble of mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I read, I, at the time I'd rather take that gamble of my life than living. Yeah. So it became, it was like Russian roulette, but it was, it was almost a high in itself. Yeah, absolutely. And you I know? remember, you know, um, and somebody would look at this as attention-seeking, but I remember you and I talking about it. And Benadryl was one of your downfalls at one point, right? You had right. issues taking Benadryl. And I remember you talking about, I feel like ODing, Liz. I feel like ODing. I'd like to I just have the urge so strong to OD. And it's the whole process, the whole thing of ODing, going to the hospital, and then having the care on a uh, you know 24/7 of trained professionals gives you a feeling of validation and a sense of compassion and worth. You know and that's that's just it that's where I'm stuck today. That I've been in the system so long. Yeah. 
that I don't know how to survive without any of that. I know, love. You know, mm-hmm. I, and and that's that's the crazy part. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm grateful for all the help I've gotten and this far. Yes, I've met some crazy people along the way. I mean, I had a therapist once that she would pay me to listen <laughs> to her problems. That. <laughs> Yeah, she'd go, here you go, here's a check for $20, thanks, see you next week. What the fuck is going on? I remember on? that. And, yeah, and, and I, all my life I've oh. had, you know, experiences, that's for sure, but, for sure. you know, I'm, I'm so, I don't know how to function without being in the system because it's the only thing I ever know. I know, you know? I know. So the, the thought of, it's a comfort. The thought of not having therapy, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the thought of not having therapy, I panic. Mm-hmm. How the fuck do I function, you mm-hmm. know, without it, without the hospitals, without this, that, or the other of thing? Of course, that, and like you said, I mean, the, you know, we, you, you live alone in an apartment now, which is huge, broad, you know, huge leaps and bounds from where you started, and a lot of borderlines don't advance to that point, you know, especially with as severe as your case has been. So you're actually doing way better than most people with this condition and uh, uh, to live alone. Um, you're not currently in a relationship with anybody. So that's, that's a, you know, you have to give yourself a lot of credit for that. You really do. Well, that's, that's, I struggle with credit, you know, mm-hmm. my, my brother growing up, my brother was a drill sergeant to me, mm-hmm. um, yelling at me all the time and saying, you know, I give up on you. And he was just so damn hard on myself or he was so hard on me. Yeah. And I took that onto myself and it's still there to this day. I am a drill sergeant to myself. Yeah. You know, if I, if I'm watching TV, I'm calling myself lazy. You know, you should be watching TV. You should be working on DBT skills, you know? Yeah. And then I go off on tangents. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of things for me too. When I get in that analyze mode, I'll start having conversations with people two days from now, you yeah. know, just the insecurity. For sure. You know, um, I was, you know, when I was, when I was looking through some different things and, you know, I worked with you for quite a while and I enjoy, really enjoyed mm-hmm. our time together. We became extremely close Thank and you. that's why you're on here now. You know, you're my girl Thank and you're an incredible artist. Let me just point that out. You just, the artwork is amazing. You. you just do a phenomenal job. But um, some of the young ladies that they were interviewing and talking to, and I've kind of heard this before with many of my different patients, but they would, they were saying things like, you know, I didn't know who I was. I, I don't know who I am. Um, I found myself becoming a chameleon when I was around other people and kind of morphing into whoever they were in order to, so that they would like me and accept me because I didn't know who I was. And I struggled with this horrible sense of self. Um, Are you writing a book about me? <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, though, came a lot of self-hatred. And mm-hmm. um, and at certain points, and I found this with my disassociated patients as well, um, they'll have um, – I don't know if you have this, but I have one in particular who has um, facial recognition issues. Uh, when she's really in a disassociative state, she'll go through these on and off where she can't recognize me. She knows who I am, but I'm kind of like a fuzzy blur to her, and other people can be that way when she's particularly bad. And um, understanding her own words coming out of her mouth don't seem to be what she's thinking or what she's saying. She doesn't realize what she's saying or thinking. Have you ever had any of those symptoms? 
I've definitely gone through disassociation. That that happens a lot while I'm in a therapy session. Yeah. Um, but the whole chameleon thing, um, that's me to a to a T, you know. Uh-huh. I, I'm always not not nearly, nowhere nearly as bad as it was in the past. You know, I'm I'm so much better with it today, but in order to find acceptance, um I would tune into everybody else like, oh, I like country music. Oh, well, so do I. You know, sure. I would just morph into whoever I had mm-hmm. to be to get acceptance from a friend. I didn't have any friends until um, mm-hmm. I was, until I got into recovery, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a few close friends, but um, I didn't have that family type friends. But um mm-hmm. Chameleon all the way, just just so that I wouldn't be abandoned. Yeah, you know, and, if I yeah. met people, you know, I, if I met someone and sat down with them for the first time, I would tell them my entire life story. <laughs> okay, from beginning to end. That's a little heavy. <laughs> I figured in my mind, well, if they reject that, then you know, yeah. I'll move on. I won't be hurt. Sure, sure, and that's a big fear—getting hurt. I would imagine. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, it's like... And it still plagues me today with, you know, with my parents and the situation. I am still so scared to be hurt by them because it hurts so bad. Yeah. You know, just the the fear of being hurt again because I've been hurt so much in my life, especially by them, you Mm -hmm, know. mm -hmm. And, you know, the along with the stigma and everything that goes along with borderline patients, there are 10% of the people who do have borderline will commit suicide, will follow through and and end up um, completing suicide. And so that makes a lot of the therapeutic community frightened to treat people mm-hmm. with borderline because there is a high right. risk that they will take their lives. I had a young girl mm-hmm. in yesterday that I'm diagnosing with uh, borderline and um, she, she's like, um, can't do it, Liz. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out. Uh, it's over. I don't have a plan, but I'm thinking I'm going to figure one out here. And I said, okay, we got to go to the hospital. You know, she was not down, but she was scared, scared of her own thoughts and feelings. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. it was really interesting because I called her mother in so we could all work on this together and get her in. And all I got was attitude from her mother, at which, you know, yeah. she doesn't need to go. I don't want to put her through that. Out of fear. It's denial yeah. of fear. Mm-hmm. And I said, we, we have to. We have to stabilize her. We have to save her life. Although it's not an ideal circumstance, this is what we have to do in order to save her life. But... A lot of people in the therapeutic community are scared to treat borderline patients, and they kind of really reject a lot of them because they think they're, quote-unquote, too difficult. I never had that problem, not not with you anyways, for sure, and any of the other ones right. I've had that have, you know, um, I don't know. I actually, I like most communities that I've worked with, most of my diagnosis. I can't think of one that is really particularly difficult unless it's schizophrenia, mm-hmm. which, you know, is so much, so much more a medical intervention than it is a therapeutic, right? So that can be oh, yeah. well, extremely I, difficult. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. Go on. What were you going to say, honey? Well, um, I was going to say uh, in regards to schizophrenia, I'm glad, number one, that we have the correct diagnosis as well. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's multiple things I have going on, but at least we have the correct ones, you know, like the depression, PTSD, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, the side effects of medication have been uh, tremendous, um, especially when, like I said, when I was with the schizophrenia, they put me on so many medications. But what happened is um, I started getting 
uh, side effects. Yeah. Big time. Mm-hmm. Um, like and that's I, what people are so scared what, of. Yeah. Well, I, one of the side effects I had, and this is a you know period between when I was 15 and like 20 years old. Um, one of them was I bit a hole through my lower lip. Mm. One of them, one of them was um, it, I couldn't talk for I couldn't talk for too long because if I talked for too long, I would start gagging okay. and I'd have to to just be silent. Um, now, just another, for clarification, just for clarification, um, was this for the schizophrenia or for the borderline? This was this was for the schizophrenia because okay. at that time there was there was no borderline. Yeah, um, I want to I want to make that clear for our borderline patients that she was misdiagnosed with the wrong, uh, the wrong diagnosis, right. and so in order they were giving her the wrong medications. This does not mean somebody with Correct. borderline who is taking medication currently. These things are going to happen to you, but often this yeah, does sorry happen. About that. No, 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 no. <laughs> Let's just. I'm just clarifying. But you know, often this does happen. They start treating you with the wrong meds, and it's kind of like a crapshoot on what's going to work, right? And um, what's the best? Oh, God, yeah. So, what are you taking right now? You're taking a. Um, are you taking a mood stabilizer? I would imagine. Yeah, I uh, I'm taking. Can I list them? Or? Yeah, well, yeah. Go right ahead. Tell us what they are. Okay, I was gonna say, um, I take Lamictal, um, Clozapine, Boost Bar, uh, Trintelix. Um, I have other several other like uh, physical health medications. Mm-hmm. Um, I take Vistrol as needed as well. Okay, um, and this is the. This is the least amount of meds I've ever been on in my whole life. Usually, the average is usually, you know, 10, 12 mm-hmm. um, med- different medications at one time. But, you know, this is the least amount. Thank God, you know. Sure. And, you know. I, mean, I feel like I've missed out on my life. I know, honey. I know. You know, because I, I spent so many years doped up or whatever in hospital. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. <laughs> I, I know, I know. And it's, um, it is a long, difficult road, but, you know, um, it comes out so well in your creativity and you're such a funny, we always used to laugh and have a good time together hanging <laughs> out. Okay. So that's always important, right? It's a super right. important thing. So, um, you know, they were also saying a lot of these girls that were talking about, you know, the, the one girl had a tattoo on her arm that said she felt bankrupt and hollow. And, um, I think that that describes a lot of how borderlines feel pretty hollow, pretty, pretty emotionally bankrupt. Did you feel that way at all? Oh, most definitely. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like an abyss that can't be filled, a hole that can't be filled. And it's not your fault. That's what people don't understand right. when they say they're seeking attention. No, it's not their fault. They absolutely have right. these emotions that are overwhelming. And if anybody else felt like that, they'd understand. It's yeah, not, exactly. It, yeah. So the Lamictal is a mood stabilizer. The Trentalix, they're using it. Is it an antidepressant anxiety med? Mainly antidepressant. Okay. And I know it works real well with anxiety with a lot of my patients. It's really been helpful. And then you also take Boost Bar? Yep. But And how does that work for you? That's for the anxiety. I'm on a low dose right now. Yeah, it's for anxiety. I'm, I'm on a low dose, but... Um... Things are, are definitely shifting as far as what I'm going to be prescribed and what the, the doses and things like that. 
mm-hmm. um, just because I, I have so much going on today with my anxiety. Yeah, and so your depression is kind of manifested into anxiety right now, and this is one of those other things. So you have the main diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, but we're going to tag on to that mixed with depression, mixed with anxiety. So PTSD. PTSD, let's toss in about I have six. A, I have a melting pot going on, <laughs> I really do. Not to sound negative or anything, but... That's not negative, you know, it's reality, girlfriend. <laughs> It's reality. Listen, you know, that's the odd thing about mental health. I wish everybody would understand that. But I never had this before. It's weird how mental health goes. It will manifest from one thing into another. And then one thing I used to do this and now I do that, right? Which also comes into psychosomatic illnesses. Although I know you're having some health problems now that are legit. But um, a lot of us with anxiety and depression problems will manifest in psychosomatic illnesses like irritable bowel syndrome, acid reflux, uh, super, you know, stress, hair loss, all kinds of different things. Mm -hmm. It's amazing because I've gone through those things too. Some of them, you know, like for one, the hair loss. Holy cow. Yeah. I... um, I'm trying to look into, I haven't, I've been procrastinating, but I need to find a wig um, mm-hmm. because it, it's just been, and it's still coming out, you know, Is and I, I have acid reflux, high blood pressure, you know, the, the, the physical manifestations have definitely, uh, are out. That's for sure. Sure, sure, sure. So let's talk about, um, therapies and treatments. Okay. So we're, we have the pharmacological component to that, which is just like any kind of depression or any kind of me- heavyweight mental illness. You, it requires a little bit of this, a little bit of that. What works? What's not working now? We'll add a little of this. Maybe that'll help with that. Right. So that's kind of, mm-hmm. that, that's always a balancing act. You see your psychiatrist on a regular basis and they work with you on the medication part of that component. What therapies have been the most helpful for you? Most helpful, oh, that's that's been a journey for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, I can tell you that uh, DBT has been most helpful, but I, I've been on a journey with that as well. You um, have. You and I were both a little my... down on DBT there for a while. We're both <laughs> like, really? Okay. I, well, I, I've taken six years worth, which is very You could abnormal. teach it, Bree. <laughs> you could teach I'm sorry, it. What? You could teach it. <laughs> Yeah. You know well, so much about you know, it. It's it's true, but it, yeah. it, it took me a while to get here. I thank God that they let me do DBT this last time mm-hmm. because it, I, after the five times this last time, I got it. Like it, it clicked. Yes. Okay. When so, I first started DBT years ago, I was like, well, this is a bunch of bullshit. Sure. You sure. know, like this is ridiculous. And I, I hated it and mm-hmm. I hated even talking about it because mm-hmm. I thought it was all bullshit. So um, through but, acronyms, right? So through acronyms, and, and you can add to this. So through acronyms, DBT helps you to develop healthy copeful, uh, healthy coping skills that regulate your emotions. And so this creates mindfulness, which is being in the moment and truly understanding what when you're super stressed or upset or having uh, an incident that is starting to take you down the rabbit hole, you go to one of these acronyms, if I'm correct, and this will help you to calm down. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'd like to note that um, uh, for all these years, 
you know, aside from DBT, I was just told, oh, if you're depressed, go ride a bike. Oh, read a book, you know, do a puzzle. Yeah. And that got me in so much shit because I'd be on the phone with emergency services telling them, hey, I got to kill myself right now. You know, um, I got to harm right now. Mm -hmm. And their response was, yeah, just uh, take a walk outside and, okay, call back if you need anything. Yeah, sure. And that, oh. Dismiss you and you're still ruminating. One of the Right. That's one of the worst things that can happen to a patient with mental illness is to reach out for help and get a line of bullshit. You know, I always say my issues go past page 34 of your college book, you know, like they, yeah. Can I just point out my college as a degree, master's degree, my $85,000 education from U of M in Michigan State with my graduate degree did not teach me what I have learned in the field, on my feet, exactly. working in psych wards and residential facilities. Yeah. Okay, this is this is only yeah. stuff that you can learn when you're live and active and in it. So, tell us exactly what go. do you, what, what? Tell me about the acronyms and actually how DBT works. Um, well, it stands for dialectical behavioral therapy. Yeah. Um, there's there's different skills for different things. Um, there's emotion regulation. Uh, topic where that addresses how to regulate emotions, like not have it go so intense, um, Mm -hmm. not having to get your urges out of control. There's uh, interpersonal effectiveness, which is basically teaches you how to interact with yourself and others Mm -hmm. um, in a positive way. There's uh, mindfulness, which Mm -hmm. um, those are skills to keep you centered and not have that black and white thinking mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. DBT is all about getting away from the black and white and seeing the middle ground. Yep. You're right. Mm-hmm. And so um, give us an example. I had talked to one of my other girls who uh, was, is taking ketamine drip right now. And are you familiar with that at all, Brie, for depression? Uh, ketamine? No? Ketamine. Mm-hmm. Are, are uh, I've heard of it? it. I'm not unfamiliar with well, it. Well, I, I did a show on it <clears throat> recently, and um, she's borderline as well, mixed with depression. And um, we were, t- we were, she used, has a DBT app on her phone. Do you have that? Uh-huh. Do you have that as well? I do. You I, do? I have cool. It. I, I have to download it. Like. Okay. So tell us, just give us an example of one of a, an emotion and what you would use for it, what acronym you would use. Oh, let me see. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, basically, like, let's say you're, you have a deep, deep sadness. Okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what you would do is you'd figure out the prompting event for that sadness. You know, what was your first thought that brought on the, the emotion? Mm-hmm. You know, and let's say, oh, um, I lost my, my pet. I lost my dog. Um, okay. And you check the intensity. So does the intensity of your sadness uh, sit? Is it justified by like losing your dog? I'm I'm trying to explain this the best I can. No, it makes sense. <laughs> so is the does the intensity justify the reaction? Yes. Does the intensity justify the event? The event. Okay. It does. And the emotion. Yes, it okay. does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. So you would uh, do problem solving, like write down things that might help you uh, feel better or get through the sadness. If it's unjustified, 
you would do opposite action, which means if you're sad, you would do something for happiness. You you know, take care of yourself, things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, this is just, a, um, I want to clarify, this is just a light, light uh, dusting of this. Sure, of course, it's um, very intense. I probably, yeah, um, I probably have some of this wrong, but let me just iterate, it does help. And um, if you can get like the DBT app, it'll explain things. Um, Just just don't take what I have to point. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is called dialectical behavioral therapy. And in order to teach this, I'm a therapist. You have to take a lot of training. Uh, to be able to do this, this isn't something you can just mess around with and do half-assed. Right. It's something that if you're right. going to do it with a patient, you have to do be in it, all in it, uh, up to your elbows, into it, and you use it every day. It's kind of like it's reprogramming the brain to think differently and analyze why you're feeling that emotion. And does the intensity of your emotions match the incident that has gone on? So it's well, a, I, I want to go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, huh? go ahead, honey. I, I was going to say, I just want to reiterate that if you are starting DBT or if you're halfway through with it, the biggest advice I could say is stick with it. Do not give up on it. Yes. You know, if you have to take it a second time, that's great because your first time around, you probably are going to be like, this is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. You know, and that's normal. But just give it a chance because I tell you what it does work and I, I gotta warn you it's not a quick fix no being an addict i want it fixed i want to feel better right the fuck pill. Now. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't work that way and no. i am still still trying to adjust to that because when i'm feeling set whatever emotion i just want okay let's go burn you yeah know, let's go yeah. cut let's you know i i have to get to a point where i have to accept and that's part of dbt is acceptance that you know it it's not going to be problem solved day one, you know, but it does work. It will help. And that's what I want to point out also. And, you know, Bree, I know that you really, your cutting was a big issue. And you also used to burn holes in your arms that were horrendous. I mean, you had wounds that were unreal, unreal. Mm -hmm. And um, really, and, you know, who, anybody seeking attention would do none of that. You would, you always had long sleeves on so nobody could see your arms and see the things that you had done. You know, you also had a lot of tattoos to cover that up. That's another common thing. A lot of girls that, that do cutting and do burn themselves and things like that are, this is a way of you trying to extract some emotion from your body as distorted as it is. That's the way the mind goes. And when, go ahead, honey. I, not to interrupt, but I was just going to say, um, with the cutting, um, over the years, I would do it to the point of stitches. Yeah. And what's fucked up is that the reason I would do it to the point of stitches is that I felt that, um, what was I going to say? I felt that it, it wasn't justified the cutting until I had stitches. Like that was my stitches were my validation. Mm -hmm. If I went in to get uh, my wound looked at, and they say, you don't need stitches. I get so fucking pissed. Like, damn it, I didn't do it enough, you know? Because, again, that's my validation. Stitches. Yep, sure. If I don't do that, then I go back home and I make it worse. Yep, that's the distorted thinking that goes along with the whole disorder that goes along with it. How is co- has cognitive behavioral therapy been helpful for you? Uh, with cognitive, you know, 
so much of my therapy revolved around getting through crisis. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it bouncing around from therapist to therapist, you, you really don't have um, a great opportunity to use this stuff mm-hmm. because I was constantly being shuffled. Because when you see a new therapist, you have a Bible of information so you got to catch them up with yeah. in order for them to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was moving around so much and just day-to-day crisis that, I mean, I, I, I suppose it worked, but, you know, I have old. to remember, too, that when I look at my past, I minimize the hell out of everything. Sure you do. Okay, so everything I'm saying in this this podcast, I'm minimizing, you sure. know. Sure. Well, we would be here for quite a while if we got into the greatest of details, you know. Right. Right. Uh, exactly. W- without a doubt. Um, w- any other types of therapy that were helpful for you? Your artwork is. Yes, most definitely. Art. Um, art's really been the the prominent one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It really is. I sometimes I play guitar, but I I'm very impatient with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, but art has really been a good outlet for me, as well as um, basketball. Mm-hmm. I love basketball. Well, I know you do. I know you do. You yeah. really enjoy it. You really do. So in a lot of ways, a good support system, being on the right medications, having a doctor you can trust, um, sticking with the DBT, finding the acronyms, the words, the meaning behind each one of the statements that helps you to stay mindful and in the moment, your artwork and interactions with others that are suffering from similar things um, help keep you grounded. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, a good example, too, real quick, is um, prior to... Uh, prior to 2017, okay, mm-hmm. um, I had had one hell of a, a relationship with my parents. There was, you know, so much grief, anger, hate, you know, depression, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Resentment. Um, and mm-hmm. I had such hate. I just had such angst for my parents and, and everything that had happened. Uh, I just want to mention that in 2017, I, I started opening up to them and, the relationship that I have today with them, I never would have dreamed I could have. I think it's one of those things that we all matured. I, I matured yep. more. Yep. They matured more. And I gave them a chance to come back into my life. Well, they were never really in my life, you know, but mm-hmm. to open myself to be a little vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And by God's grace, I have an awesome relationship with them today. So I just want to say that never give up. On yeah, that, yeah, yeah, you know, it can change. You know, once you just like everything you just listed, if you just stick with that, yes, you, you'll see the changes not only in yourself but others around you. You got that right. And there was a time when you and I talked about engaging with your family again, and you were like, "Oh hell no!" So it's amazing right. what some time right. how that can change when you have time to think about it and work on it and um, figure you things can't out. Lose hope. Nope, you, you cannot know. lose hope. Um, Bree, I want to thank you. I told you this would go by in five minutes, and it did. <laughs> Honey, <laughs> right. I want to thank you so very much for joining me today. Listen, I love you. You know that, right? You're my girl. I love you, too, a lot. You're, you're my girl, and I'm here <laughs> for you always. You'll never get rid of me. You know that. And um, <laughs> and yeah, I wish you nothing but the best, and you and I will talk very soon. Thank you so much for everything that you've done for everybody, honey, Okay. 
Um, Thank you for letting me do this. Wonderful. I'm so happy. Thank you to Bree. Thank you to Jessica, my engineer. Um, Today we're going to go out with my brother Danny and his band Coup de Trois. This is Two-Ton Bullet, which is kind of like what having borderline personality is like, carrying around a two-ton bullet. Ah, Please follow me on Instagram and Facebook. And from my heart to yours, please be good to you and namaste. Let your life come first, let the boss that you feel Strap yourself in